John, I, I, I couldn't take you seriously. I thought that when it, if I hadn't seen the rake, I thought you were going to do your best Michael Jackson impersonation, which was, which was really going to be fun and scary all at the same time. Thanks, bro. Well, um, a couple other uh, just a brief announcements. One, if, you've, if you missed Dan Snape this morning, he's actually on a plane right now headed towards our, our parent church in Texas, Antioch. Um, community church because they're having a worship conference this week, and so he's going to be fellowshipping with other worship leaders across the country to be equipped and be refreshed and learn so you can pray for him. I'm actually going to meet up with him, not for the worship conference, but we have our annual um, oversight, our, our oversight boards, both for our U.S. church plants in, uh, in the United States, obviously, and then our international church plants. Our boards meet once a year for Antioch to hear from the Lord and discuss what's going on and plan for the future. So you can pray for me as I travel as well this week. I'll be back next Sunday. Also want to let you know that we are um, in the midst of cranking up a ministry to our youth, our 6th through 12th graders. And um, it's just been, (laughs) that's uh, part of our youth workers on the front row here. It's been a it's been exciting to actually see. I, I, I was, uh, for those of you here last week, we had a pastor uh, swap within our three-church movement up here, and so I preached at Community of Faith Christian Fellowship in Brighton, and the pastor from the harbor, Brian Carlson, came here. I heard he did a great job. We had a great service last week. And then Jeff Yankee at CFCF went up to the harbor. But I was able to preach at CFCF and share, share an announcement, which I won't make my announcement for youth ministry as long as I did there, but um, ended up having... Um, 10 people come up um, after the service and say, hey, interested in working with the youth, and Priscilla, who's one of the people that's going to help me lead, uh, she and I have she and I have been interviewing people this week, but I also just want to make this um, need known to you as well as a body. If you are interested in sowing into youth's lives, you can be any age, we're especially looking for people in their um, uh, early 30s, 20s, and younger. Uh, those who are kind of basically in that next generation up that can provide an example as we have been talking to people who can say, follow me in my life as I follow Jesus. Uh, and if you can say that, with a, uh, and, and it can also be really fun, then uh, we would love uh, for you to be um, involved. And so if you have an interest, actually, I'm serious, if you have an interest in working with our youth and you are in any age range and you have a youthful heart and a desire to in- and engage our students in a life-giving way, let me know at the end of the service. We're still taking applications. So it's awesome. All right. We've been in the middle of a series, and we are coming towards the end of our series. We have a couple more weeks. We're actually going to have a really fun party in our, ser- in our, in our worship service on the 18th, so you don't want to miss that. Um, in two weeks, we're going to have a, a great time together with some testimonies, baptism, etc., but we, uh, we have a couple more weeks, and this morning I want to touch on the topic of Sabbath, that part of partying is resting, um, and, uh, and that's not necessarily resting after the party, it could be resting before the party, during the party, and after, that we are called to be a people that rest. I found myself in a very interesting situation last week, I was um, in Harvard Square, and for those of you who know Harvard Square, it's pretty much busy all the time. I was dropping off my daughter at school and 
Um, I just left her and I was walking right into the, the square there where the T-stop is and I found myself looking at my phone and when I looked up, I was right in the middle of a group of people. Um, and it just happened to be that I think, I, I assumed, I didn't ask them because I'll tell you why in a second, but I found, they, I think they were all together. I think I walked right in the middle of a group of eight to ten people that were all hanging out together. Um, and I looked up, and I f- had a little bit of an awkward, awkward feeling, and then I realized that they didn't observe me, nor did they know what was going on in each other's lives, because all of them were on their cell phones. So they were all in a circle, facing one another, and I was right in the middle of them. I, w- I walked in with my cell phone, and I looked up, and they were all facing each other, but they were on their cell phones, probably um, um, double-tasking, right? So they were hanging out, having a great time together, Literally, while they were virtually hanging out with who knows how many people on their phones. Who knows how big that group was if we incorporate everybody that they were texting or um, on Facebook with or um, looking at their Instagram message. I always have to figure out what the verb is in all those uh, endeavors. Um, uh, They were busy. Busy um, doing life at warp speed. Do you feel like you're doing life at warp speed? Have we... Have we uh, actually found rest in our lives, or are we in an amazingly quick-paced, overactive pursuit of grabbing a hold of life, but it's actually got a hold of us and is whipping us around like dangerous knives? One of my favorite commercials, I'm going to be vulnerable here, it's not because of the product, but it's just because of the commercial. Anybody like Corona beer commercials? I love Corona beer commercials. I don't know if you know what they are. If you don't know what they are, it's usually just a beach and somebody looking at an ocean, and they're drinking a beer. I, 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 I'm not a big Corona beer person, but I'm a beach person. And I watch those commercials, and I'm like, wow, that, <laughs> and especially in the winter, right, David? In the winter, Corona beer commercials are awesome. <laughs> Why can't life be a beach? Why can't, yeah, uh, thank you, David. Thank you. Don't preach my message yet. I mean, just, just, just smile. Okay. <laughs> Why can't life be a beach? Why can't life be um, that place of full seagull, quiet, not ocean pounding, whatever it feels like? You know, you guys that actually live there, um, tell me what it feels like. I just get to experience it every once in a while. Wayne Muller, an ordained minister and founder of Bread for the Journey, a nonprofit charity serving the poor and underprivileged, says this. He says, The more our life speeds up, the more we feel weary, overwhelmed, and lost. Despite our good hearts and equally good intentions, our life and work rarely feel light, pleasant, or healing. Instead, as it all piles endlessly upon itself, the whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. To be unavailable for our friends and family. To be unable to find time for the sunset or even to know that the sun has set at all. To whiz through our obligations without time for a single mindful breath. This has become the model of a successful life. If we're busier, if we have more appointments, if we're getting more done, if we're accomplishing more tasks, then we're more successful. Is that true? Don't answer. What is successful life? What is fulfillment? What is peace of mind? 
I think God has a solution for us, and I think part of it is, well, I think it is found in the Sabbath as we unpack the Sabbath this morning. You remember uh, our first indication scripturally of the Sabbath is actually not when the word Sabbath is spoken, but in the account of creation in Genesis 2. Remember in Genesis 2 at the beginning, it says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed, and on the seventh day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Sabbath. Rest. Sabbath. Freedom. Sabbath. Peace. Rest for our souls. Rest for our minds. Rest for our bodies. I want to look at those three things this morning. That He rested, so we rest. He blessed it, so we are blessed. He made it holy, and as a result, we were made holy by God. This is really the embodiment of what Sabbath is. What I want to do today is take Sabbath off the place of the legalistic, am I accomplishing my Sabbath list? Right? That's actually in the New Testament how we see the religious leaders living it. And Jesus had to come and rebuke them and to redefine it. That the Sabbath, we were not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for us. Sabbath, Shabbat, a time of rest. Does God need rest in this passage of Scripture, by the way? Does He need the rest, the kind of rest that we need? No. So there must be something else that God is doing in this passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at one part of it right now, and we'll look at another part of it a little bit later. But God does not need rest like we do, but we actually absolutely need rest for our souls, minds, and bodies, don't we? D.A. Carson, uh, a theologian, said it this way when, when observing Genesis. He said, Indeed, the context implies that a weekly day of rest is as necessary for human survival as sex or food. This is an emphasis that seems to have been forgotten today, even among or especially among Christians. We have lost rhythm. And when I say we, I put myself into this equation. I am standing here talking with you, not at you. We can easily find in our culture, in our days, and not necessarily just with bad things, but with good things, getting out of rest and forgetting perspective of what God has really given us and blessed us with. Rest emotionally, rest mentally, physically. Why is it that our minds race when we are asleep? Anybody's minds race when you're asleep? That's why you can't sleep. And why is it that our bodies race when we're awake? We are constantly racing. And God wants to slow us down. He wants us to find rest. And this rest, I believe, is imitating who God is. God starts out creation, starts out our existence as human beings with rest. He creates us, and then He says, rest. And there's something in that. There's something in that, both spiritually and um, literally for our lives, that God wants us to take a hold of. Remember in Genesis 1, uh, it says, each day after he created, it says there was evening 
and then there was morning. It wasn't morning and evening. It was evening and morning, and then that was day one. Some theologians believe that that um, order in the text is, is specific or it's intentional to put the, put the rest of the day, the resting part of our day, at the front of our day. That we begin by resting in the work of God, and then we get up and do because God has borne in us rest for our souls, for our minds, and our bodies. Whether or not that is meant by the text, we do know that Sabbath in that kind of order mirrors what God has done for us, doesn't it? He does all the work for us so that we can rest. And then we get to take a part of what he has done um, for us. It's like salvation. The book of Hebrews unpacks Sabbath. We'll look at a few scriptures here because I think the author of Hebrews brings into context, I believe, what was meant ultimately by the initiation and the establishment of the Sabbath. In Hebrews 3, verse 7, it says this, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried Me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. They saw how that they, God provided for them. They knew that God was a provider, a deliverer. And yet, they tested Him in the desert. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, quote, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known My ways. So I declared on oath in My anger, they shall never enter My rest. Rest here is not just time off, is it? They shall never get a day off. The rest that God is talking about through the author in Hebrews, is a state of mind, a state of the soul. It's a longing unfulfilled. It is the meaning of existence being answered or not being answered. So we go on in Hebrews 3.19, and the author says this, so we see that we were not, so, that they, so we see that they were not able to enter that rest because of their unbelief. Somewhere along the way, and somewhere along the way, as a society, we stop believing in God. We stop believing and honoring that God is the one that begins the process of rest for our souls, begins the process of bringing balance to who we have been created to be, begins and ends and does the work for us to bring that peace and fulfillment for our mind, body, and souls. We forget God. and We take life into our own hands. And when we take life into our own hands we don't acknowledge that God is the one that provides, that He is the one that cares for us, that He's the one that's concerned for us. And in this illustration, in the rebellion, they, they, they not only denied or forgot about God, but they began to live for themselves and worship other gods. And so they were not able to enter the rest. And my question is, is if we just have rest and refreshment, which we'll talk about later in our life, do we actually have rest in our souls? And what do we really long for? Do we want Corona beaches? Ultimately, if I have a Corona beach, but my soul is not at rest, that's a bummer. Because I'm not really enjoying the beach. I might be drinking a lot of alcohol to, put, to, to, to work on the pain or the emptiness in my soul, but I am not experiencing what that advertiser wants me to experience. Because at the end of the day, it starts all over again, and I get in front of the beach again, and I try to fill my life with all the things that are going to bring rest to my soul, but they don't bring rest, do they? 
until we find the rest that God has the ability to give or to not give. The promise of God to us is if we believe in Him, trust in Him, receive the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross, Hebrews 4.9 says, then a Sabbath rest will be given to the people of God. It says there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And here is, I believe, what Sabbath is all about. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Not the, I want to I make rest for my life rest. Not I got to get ahead and get enough money so I can rest rest. Not I got to put in enough retirement hours so I can retire rest. Not a, but that I could enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their examples. This is illustration he's already used. This, their examples of disobedience. So what are these rest, what are these works that we're resting from? Our effort to please God our effort to earn God's favor, our effort to make ourselves feel good in the presence of our mirror in the morning or our spouse or friends during the day and ultimately our God and say, hey, I'm a pretty good person. We're pretty good at it. Just when we are feeling uh, disconnected or not, and this is our journey towards God, I'm I'm not speaking of believers here, but as people who are pursuing God, I I can't tell you how many times I'll I'll talk to people about our separation from God because of our rebellion, and they'll say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler, or I used to say Donald Trump, but I can't say that anymore, (laughs) or can I? Not as bad as That's, that's not what God's after. God's after rest for our souls as, he, as Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2. And I'm going to read this a longer passage, but let it sink in. For those of you in the room that have experienced this grace, may it be a time of, of thanksgiving. For those of you who are seeking this rest or grace, may this be a time of conviction, not to bring condemnation, but for you to hear Paul saying, you can Be set free by this grace that Jesus has given you. As for you, Paul said, speaking to believers, you were dead. Before you came to know Christ, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh in following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace. Grace defined as unmerited, undeserved favor. It's by grace from God you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus. 
And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift. It's a glorious gift from God. Not by works. These are the works that Hebrews is talking about. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The work side of our faith is not before we get to Jesus so that we can earn our position with Jesus. The work side of our faith is after Jesus when we're saying, God, thank you for setting me free. Now give me a rake and some blue gloves so I can clean the church. Thank you, God, that there's not one religiously good thing that I can do to, to, to gain rest. But the rest that comes from heaven is because, Jesus, you've done everything for me. One of my favorite artistic works is a, is a, is a painting of, of Jesus on the cross. It's got the cross behind him, and he's, he's in that position on the cross. But in front of him is a modern-day man in a pair of jeans and a in a shirt and he's 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 in front of Jesus and he's got a hammer in one of his hands and he's got a nail in another one of his hands and he's he's just exhausted exhausted from this work of life but also from this sin of of putting Jesus on the cross And Jesus has got him in an embrace from behind. And the picture illustrates the thought that you can drop your hammer and your nails. You can cease from your work even in that place of rebellion or tireless energy. I love you and I bring you rest for our souls. From the beginning, God has been declaring, I've done it for you. I've done it for you. I've done it all for you. I've made a way for you. And it is good. Every day he created, he said it is good. Stars, heaven, night, day, plants, animals, good, 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 good. Humans, really good. I love you. It's good. It's good. And then he rested. I love the way that Tim Keller says it in his sermon, Work and Rest. He says, what does it mean that God rested if he wasn't tired? We'll go back to that question. Does God need rest? What does it mean that he rested? One of the things is neat about the creation account is that every time God makes something, he looks at it and says that it was good. And when he makes something else, he said, that's good. And then when he comes to the very end, he looks at it all and he says, very good. That's what it means to rest. To be utterly satisfied with what's been done. Listen to that again. To be utterly satisfied with what has been done. To be utterly satisfied. That's the only way we can walk away. The only way we can stop and put the doing down is if we are absolutely satisfied with the doing. That's good. That's very good. Then we can rest. Then we can relax. So you see, the definition of resting is to be utterly satisfied with what is done. I remember when I um, did my one um, carpenter work gift, I built a bookshelf for my wife for Christmas. The one wise thing I did is I asked a carpenter to help me. 
so that I could say I built it, but it was actually him going, okay, right there, hammer, good. <laughs> Cut here, good. He actually made it, but I gave the gift. It was my idea, and I did some, most of the hammering and cutting, but if he wasn't there, it was going to be a disaster. But I would sneak away at times that Laura thought I was going to visit a friend or whatever, and I was hanging out with David, and we were building a bookshelf. And when we finished that bookshelf on Christmas Eve day, or whenever it was, close to the finish line, after it was finished and I stepped back, I was like, man, that is good. I was at a place of completion. Great concept. She's going to love the product, uh, practically, she's going to be really excited that I made it. She's going to be shocked, actually. <laughs> this is good. Utterly satisfied with the completion, the completed product. I think that God is utterly satisfied with the complete product. Jesus died on the cross for you and me. His work, it's good. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. His work, that's good. He rose from the dead, defeating our foe, our enemy, sin and death that we couldn't defeat. His work, good. Utterly satisfied. And He's drawing Himself to us. His work, that's good. Ultimately, utterly satisfied with everything He's done for us. It is complete. It is finished. It is perfect. It is good. And He's thoroughly excited for you to get it, receive it, and be with Him and experience the work He has done. It is good. And it is called rest for our souls. Sabbath has come. I would have nothing better in my mind than to see you figuratively this morning. You don't have to enact it for me, but that if every person in the room was like that man in front of Jesus, fully satisfied with the work that God has done for you. That is rest. It's Sabbath for your souls. I do also think that the picture of Sabbath in our day and what we need is important too. So not just for our souls, but for our minds and bodies. And I think he gave us this pattern for a purpose, to bless us. Um, and so I want to just look real quickly at that. We know everything starts from the beginning with rest, but why is it that I find that it takes more faith to rest in my day than it takes to work? Is that true for you? Oh, I just... I, you know, Sabbath is Sunday, or whatever. For me, Sabbath is not Sunday because I work on Sunday. Right, Sabbath is in my calendar. Got to get everything done so I can Sabbath. Uh, I know it's, okay, 24 hours. How about 20? 15. Cup of coffee will be good. Love you, Lord. Why does it take more faith for me to believe that God can do in six days what it would take me seven or an eternity? Anybody ever know that when you don't walk in Sabbath rest, your to-do list never gets done? And when you do Sabbath rest, when you do honor and find that rhythm, some of your to-do list does not get done because maybe it doesn't need to get done. 
and some of your to-do list that you didn't even know was on your to-do list gets done, and it's better than if it would have been put on your to-do list. Well, that was really good. God, you ordered that. That was awesome. I think he does that. I love, as I've shared before, but I'll say it again, I love this story of this company, Chick-fil-A, who from its earliest existence, um, uh, at the beginning of the Depression, it was established as a, as a, um, a diner that sold awesome chicken. And it became the second largest quick-service chicken restaurant chain in 2010. And now it is uh, just past KFC. That's why we have a new colonel. Because Chick-fil-A passed KFC. Unbelievable sales, etc. I'm not going to talk about that. But this is Truett Cathy's quote about their principles of the Sabbath for their workers. He says, Our decision to close on Sunday was our way of honoring God and directing our attention to things more important than our business. If it took seven days to make a living with a restaurant, then we needed to be in some other line of work. Through the years, I've never wavered from that position. I'm always frustrated because Sunday is usually the day that I drive past a Chick-fil-A, and I'm like, why are you closed? I'm, I'm sorry, God. I'm glad, I'm glad they're closed. But they're doing okay because he is a owner trusted God, and he is a father of his employees, trusted that God would want to bless his employees as well, and as a result, witness to a nation. Does God really honor his charge for us to rest? I believe he does, by helping us in our lack, and I believe he means it. So to to, to Sabbath rest is to cease from your ordinary duties and enjoy God, others, and rest. So if you're a farmer, it means don't work in the garden. If you're a computer techie, it means work in the garden. (laughs) Y'all can think about that for a while. It's really good. It's also an act of good stewardship over our bodies. For those of you who know, and again, I said I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. We're walking this together. But I, I don't think as a pastor I did a great job over the last 17 years entering into Sabbath for my own life. And for all the right reasons, for saying yes to another phone call, to meeting with another person, to spinning another ministry plate to keep it going, Uh, and not just what I did, but even what I carried in my mind, and we'll talk about that for a second, but I found at seasons that I was okay, but at other seasons I was way overstressed, worked by the job. And to the point that I needed to take a break in April and did for three months in sabbatical. Sabbath, sabbatical, shut down, stopped, paused, quit, and said, God, I give in. Do something in me that needs to be done. We don't all have that kind of privilege, and I say it again to you as a body, I'm so thankful that you honored me and my family with that. It was such a life-saving time for me. But it was also a revelatory time for me, not just did it save me um, for the season, but hopefully it established the opportunity for me to pause and reflect for a lifetime that we are created in ways that if we don't take care of our souls and then our bodies and minds, we're going to break down, amen? What happens when you break down physically? Uh, or what happens when you don't rest physically? Your body wears out, doesn't it? You start having physical problems, sicknesses. 
And you don't rest mentally. You, you uh, are less sharp. You don't think as well. You forget things. When you don't rest emotionally, you get cranky. You, you damage your relationships. Anybody ever been without sleep for 24 hours? Nobody wants to be around me. It's my kids. Jonathan, stop. It's, it's, it's a little bit too much shaking there, Jonathan. Don't want to be around. Uh, we got to take care of ourselves. But he also blessed Sabbath. It's not just so that it can protect us, but it's also to bless us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Sabbath is to bless you, to refresh you, to, to allow you to have fun. I love reading the Party in God book, and Robert, one of the author's uh, stories is about going to a small group or a faith group, and he asked the question, if you had one day to do whatever you wanted to do, what would you do? And he says it's amazing how the whole room just kind of goes into a like a, ah, wow, that'd be awesome. It's just like this collective jacuzzi experience in the room. Wow, just thinking about the question makes me happy. What would I do with the day? You know, go to the beach or read a book by a fire or whatever. And then his response as a faith group leader is, then Sabbath. Do it. You mean I can do it this week? Well, that's how God's designed it. If you trust me, go out and do something that refreshes you, that blesses you that takes your mind off of your work. Rabbi Abraham, I don't know how to say his last name, Heschel, says this, to the biblical mind, the Sabbath is a day for the sake of life. Man is not a beast of burden, and the Sabbath is not for the purpose of enhancing the efficiency of his work. The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. It's not an interlude, but the climax of living. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? It's God, what he's done for our souls, the same that he wants to do for our minds and bodies. I think it is a part of this creation, and I I believe that God, in all of his creativity, demonstrates us. He wants us to have fun. His stars, his flowers, his animals, his rainbows. Why did he do all of that? If he wanted us to be workhorses, He could have just made it all really drab. We would have been functional, but God wants fun for us, and part of it's in our Sabbath. And he made it holy. Last point. He didn't just make it for fun, though. He made it for being holy. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, tells us to remember the Sabbath. And he says in verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, and on the seventh day he rested. So he's referring to Genesis 2 that we've just looked at. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart to make it holy. And what does holy mean on Sabbath? I think it means celebrating the works of God. To be thankful. The reason that we rest is to, so that we can say, God, we trust you. We trust you. Stop your work, Thomas Aquinas. Stop your work in order to learn to trust in God. And all you do, give thanks. Give thanks for what he has done. But it's also made not only for us to thank God and to reflect on He as our provider, but it's also a time for us to fellowship together. Hebrews, again, talks about this, and he says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
I don't think God is legalistic about a worship day being a Sunday or a Saturday or a Monday, but there is a day that we've got to put on our calendars and say, hey, we're going to get together. So traditionally, it just happens in our country that Sunday is the day that we do it. Did you know that it used to be that the statistics were in church that at least once a week, the statistics were that the, the church would gather together. I grew up and we met three times a week as a corporate body. We're too busy for that. So we just do one and a half, maybe. And now the statistics, about 15 years ago, as the statistics are in this service here, on any given Sunday, 25% of the church is away, sick, whatever. And now the statistics are it's 50%. So if you look around, our church is twice the size, statistically, of people who say, I, I go to the river. But they're going to another river sometimes. River in New Hampshire, river that flows into the ocean. It's not always that, but what is our commitment to being together? And you say, well, you're putting some law on me. No, I'm not. I'm actually reflecting what the scripture says, that when we come together, we bring encouragement to one another. And I can tell you, when you're all here, for me, I'm encouraged, because I like you. I like being with you. And when I do faith group and I have everybody there, I love it. And when half of you are there, I love that too. But I'm like, gosh, I really miss so-and-so. You know what I mean? Because we each have something that we give to one another. And so if it's about you and what you get out of it, one, that's not very biblical. Amen? But it's also not very compassionate and loving because you have something to give somebody. Oh, well, no, I, nobody, I, I'm a wallflower. Nobody ever even listens to me. I never share anything. I just sit there. That is not true. You bring the presence of God with you wherever you go. And so if the presence of God is in you on Sabbath, then when we get together, the more that you're here and the more that I'm here, the more encouraged we all are to love Jesus. Not out of a law, not because you're going to make God any happier, but because God wants to bless you and bless us while we do it. So let's end with this. As I have the band come on up. <clears throat> so he wants rest for our souls. That's what Christ Jesus did for us on the cross. If you're in the room this morning, and as we stand up here in just a minute and you're in that place where you would really like to believe that there is a rest that's beyond what you're striving to make for yourself in life, I'd love to talk to you and pray with you because Jesus has rest that's far different than what you can create. I've found that many in the room have found that, and he wants to introduce you to a Sabbath of your soul in your minds for those of us who are followers of Jesus, but we just can't be at rest in our minds. I want to remind us of this passage of Scripture in Philippians. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace, that shalom, embodies the Sabbath. He wants to free us from our anxiety and that might be a place of prayer for some of us in the room is, God, I need to stop racing in my mind and let you take control. And I want to give you that place. What about our physical bodies? Are you just working so hard that you don't have time to answer the faith group question without it being 10 years down the road? What would you do if you had a day of 
maybe God is really challenging you to trust that six days with a rest day are better than seven getting your to-do list done. One of my favorite passages of Scripture that actually my good friend Diane Kelly um, prayed over me uh, and, and actually did some research for me out of her Strong's Concordance. If you know Diane, she's a Strong's Concordance woman. She did some study for me on this as she was praying for me during my sabbatical, but it really was a place of life for me. It was Matthew 11, verses 28-30. It says, are you tired? This is, the, this is actually the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This whole picture of being yoked with Jesus, where Jesus is doing the work, that if we're plowing a field with Jesus, we're in the yoke with him, but he, I don't know how it works. He's doing the work and we don't keep on going in circles. But he does the work and we rest and we find rest for our soul. So I want you, I want to show you a picture and then we're going to extend it and respond. This is what I feel like happens in our lives when we take control. We have clenched fists. We have hold of the rein and we're going to make our life happen. This is wearying for me. I don't know if it is for you. This is what it looks like to say. Lord, I give up. I trust you. Now, lead me. I want to get into the yoke with you, Jesus. I want that light burden and that experience of freedom and joy that comes with trusting that you are leading me.